Welcome back to Scouting the Cities. Scout Mason with you here. And today we've got Austin Yoakum on the pod, owner of Yoakum Strength, born and bred here in Minnesota, went to the University of St. Thomas, worked at Bethel University, football player, dual sport athlete, competed in track and field in the hammer throw, and just a beast. Um, editing this video was a little tough because I've been in the gym a little bit this year and Looking at the comparison between me and him, uh, it's night and day. Maybe I can take that, though, and say, hey, this is what my future is, right? I'm trying to get huge. Um, no. Um, Austin, such a great dude. Um, but what I've realized throughout doing this podcast is you don't know much about me. Um, Scout Mason, your host. At least I hope you don't know much about me. Of course, mother, you do, so you can skip this part. Um but I thought I'd give you a little bit ba- a ba- of background on the topic for today's episode, which is strength and conditioning. Whether it surprises you or not, yes, I was an athlete. We'll put that in quotes. I was an athlete. Um, grew up playing hockey and tennis, uh, some lacrosse back in middle school, hitting all the white boy sports, of course. Um and so, I, yeah, I, I started playing hockey when I was two years old, um, playing tennis when I was probably, you know, around that same age. Um, lacrosse, just through middle school. Uh, lacrosse, I actually played some goalie because no one else on my team would, but that's besides the point. So with playing more and more competitive hockey mostly and then playing high school tennis as well, but, but mostly hockey, I got to the point where at, you know, 13, 14 years old, Everyone was getting bigger and stronger, and I needed to do that in the gym. So uh, my mom was like, you got to start going to this gym that, that she was going to. It was a, a strength uh, uh, and conditioning gym. It was you know, a mix of adults and athletes. There was an athlete class after school every day that I went to and, and found myself a trainer that I really loved and, and worked out with for a long time. But yeah, I started doing this strength and conditioning, you know, cardio at the start, playing games and stuff like that, like you hear Austin Yoakum describe in this podcast. Um, and then doing, you know, weightlifting, getting into it. I remember the first time I ever went to the gym, um, I did curls. And, and my trainer then always said curls for the girls. And obviously, I love that, right? 14-year-old kid, you know, you, you got to get them big arms, right? So um, I remember that that was the first time in you know, ripping like 15 pounds and my arms just being dead. And it was the day before my first day of high school is the first day I went. And I was just absolutely, you know, exhausted on my first day of high school. It was like hard to walk up the stairs. And I was like, oh my God, luckily I went to a small high school. So it was only, you know, two flights of stairs in the whole school. So, um, luckily, you know, not that much. I, I wasn't taking the elevator, thank God, but, um, it was rough. It was rough, but i I, did that strength and conditioning all throughout high school. And, and even when I go home, I, I go to the same gym that I've been going to, Aaron Bratcher, legend, EB Athletics. Check them out in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, but yeah, I, I did this all throughout. Yeah, I even, um, the, my summer going between junior and senior year of high school, I was an intern at a strength and conditioning gym where I trained 17-year-olds, 16, 17-year-olds, guys that were a year younger than me, um, in the gym, I, I I worked out with them and I and I worked with them. I, I taught them these drills and stuff like that. So, getting a strength and conditioning, especially an athlete focused uh, trainer, on this podcast was 
a dream, right? Like I, I know what he's talking about and I know um, how or, or what makes a good coach because I've had such great coaches um, throughout my time training and everything. Um, I've had just so blessed, right? And anyone who has Austin Yoakum as well is also blessed. You know, you, you hear it on the podcast and um, getting his responses and, and hearing what he's talking about, it really resonated with me and, and made me think about my strength and conditioning days and made me want to get back into it, want to get back into athlete training. Sadly, I'm not an athlete anymore. At least I don't think I am. But, you know, the point that Austin has and a lot of trainers have that you're never not an athlete. You can always be a mover, as as he uses in this one. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it's really inspiring, and, and he very much cares about this. So I thought I'd give you a little background of my knowledge on it. Um, growing up in Raleigh, North Carolina, training, and, and then training people, adults, athletes, um, super fun. And, and I was happy to get someone on the pod that had some experience or has a plethora of experience with it that I could talk about with. And I, I hope, you know, you don't watch this pod and say scout has nothing. Uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking to Austin. Um, he's got a, a gym here in St. Paul, Minnesota. Like I said, went to the university of St. Thomas moved around a little bit. You'll hear about that, but he does have a, have a gym here. His, um, link for his website and his Instagram is there as well in, in the description of either the YouTube video of the podcast. Um, it's all there for you to click on and go ahead and explore. Great guy. Um, follow him on all his social medias. He's got, you know, big ideas. And I, I think that just makes him that much better. Right. Um, but yeah, it, go ahead. Enjoy this podcast. It was great to talk to Austin Yoakum of Yoakum Strength. And this is episode five of Scouting the Cities. Okay, cool. cool. So Austin Yoakum. Yep. Nice way to get it first time. That's pretty good. I should have asked you before we started, (laughs) right? Nobody um, gets it right. Yeah. uh, Owner of uh, Yoakum Strength. Yep. Um, So you do a lot of athlete training and everything, and and you grew up from around here, right? So um, I guess, you know, uh, where are you from, and how did you get started into doing training? Yeah, the basic icebreaker. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I was back home uh, in the St. Cloud area, really, really small town. Uh, like I actually graduated a class of like 53 people. Um, yeah. Uh, went to St. Thomas. I was, I was pretty committed to a college right next to my hometown, uh, St. John's the enemy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or well, I guess we're not the enemy anymore now that you guys are D1. Well, but, but yeah, know, still, still, you know, it's in history. Yeah. So uh, I was pretty much committed to go to St. John's at the time. It was right next to my hometown, a little bit smaller town feel, a little bit more farm feel. Um, Going to the cities from like my hometown, it's like two hours away. Uh, it's like a big deal. It's like holy crap! Like you're you're going to the cities. You're a city yeah. guy. Um, so it was like pretty pretty like intimidating. And uh, one of my buddies was like, uh, "You got to go to this. Uh, you got to go. We're gonna get a free T-shirt. We're gonna get like free uh, food." So we went on a recruiting visit to St. Thomas for basically the free T-shirt and the free food. Uh, and I got stuck in the coach's office and had a recruiting pitch. And ever since then. Uh, they sucked me in. I got yeah, here. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, small town guy ended up in the in the cities at St. Thomas, and from there, really got exposed to a lot of like the business, the the, the entrepreneurship that was here that I really didn't have before. I always knew I kind of wanted to coach. I wanted to be a strength coach. I wanted to do that, but got exposed to that entrepreneurship route, um, and a lot of just really li- like minded people that are trying to push forward, um, but from different realms because. You sit in the the small town world, and it's kind of like everybody kind of has the same thought processes. 
Um, whereas now you go into the city and you, you have all these different ideas bouncing back and forth and you're seeing all the cool things like the podcast that you're yeah. doing. My buddies were starting a podcast, um, different businesses like that, different ventures like that. I was like, I could do something like that. Um, and that's where we really started up Yoakum Strength and kind of took it from there. Yeah. With all that motivational stuff. So I, I, um, read on your website, you kind of knew you wanted to be a strength trainer since the time you were 15, right? Yep. Like, so how did that idea come about just through training as a football player? Or? Uh, actually, so I was in like this party scene. Uh, I was, I was at least freshman and I, I just had like decent size, big shoulders, had like a construction build. So like I was naturally a decent, strong athlete. So yeah. I was this freshman that was playing up uh, and hanging out with high school guys that were older than me. And I was in this party scene drinking like three times a week as a 15 year old. Uh, thinking I was cool. Like that was the thing, like thinking I was cool. I'm hanging out with all these older guys. Um, and these older guys started going out to college and I was like, the, and I, in my head, these guys were like Kings, like Kings yeah. of the world. Uh, they have it all figured out and they were all getting kicked off their football team or being terrible at football. And just I'm like, man, that's not who I thought these guys were. I thought these guys were Kings because in high school they were Kings yeah, dominating. On the field dominating. Too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just cause you're from a small town. Like you have yeah. some talent, but you go to a bigger pool and you get washed up. Um, and my head football coach at the time in high school, his name's Larry Herm, one of my one of my all time favorite heroes in my life. Um, he basically like brought me in, and it's like you can either do that, and you can sit in the party scene, and you can do that, or you can work hard, and you, you can come into here. So it was the first thing, first different pathway that was offered to me of. If, if you want to do something with your life, if you, if you want to do something different with your life, you can do it through this pathway. You can, you can work hard and, and make something. And then that was super, super eye-opening to me. It's like you, for the first time in my life, I felt like I could control something. I could control the direction of my life. And it's in such a minute thing because now it's, now it's in so many different directions. And I see people get trapped there. It's like they're trapped in the strength world. It's like the only thing they can control is strength. So they double mm -hmm. down on strength and they double down on lifting. And then you have the typical meathead that never leaves the weight room and never goes and lives life. But for me, it was the first aspect of I don't want to go the party route. I don't want to waste away my life. I want to get out of this kind of circle of like alcoholism that was really big in um, our small town um, and staying in the small town and doing that type of thing and just opening up life a little bit. And strength training was the first thing that offered that to me and then from there it, it's opened up so many different avenues to uh how i want to live my life and where i want to take my life yeah you mentioned your one coach in high school so i guess how did you sort of take it to me it seems like you're very one-on-one -on -one and personal with your you know athletes from what i see on your um instagram and everything um how did how have you taken like what you grew up with, you, you call him one of your heroes and, and taking that into how you train people today. Yeah. So I, I would say that's probably the, the biggest thing that I took from him. And honestly, like, cause we, we still chat now and then, and, uh, we talk about like how our methods, like our like, actual sets and reps and all of that was like pretty bad in high school. And mm -hmm. he admits it now too, because he, he's not, he now we, he works at Bethel and has like opened up his perspectives and not that they were terrible, but it's like, we don't really, so it's none of the methods. It's none of the, none of the what. And I, I feel like that's pretty much, everything we do in life. It's, it's never the what that people value. It, it, it's something a little bit deep, deeper, a little bit of the community aspect. And, and one of the things that he always offered me was was that community aspect, somebody to go to, just just a rock. Um, and, and that's what I feel like you, you can provide people. I was actually ready to quit football at St. Thomas. Uh, my freshman year, I had injured my ankle. I was just kind of, I just had a bad headspace, man. Like I was, I was trying to take all these easy paths out mm -hmm. of life. I was injured my ankle. I was in this big city again. I wasn't comfortable here and you, you shouldn't be comfortable, but I didn't know that at that time. And I was just uncomfortable. I wasn't good in my own skin. 
Um, and, and I texted my head coach as I was walking up to tell Coach Caruso, the head coach here, that I was ready to quit football. Um, and he just texted back that that's not who you are. Keep chopping wood. And, and that really is like, man, this guy, my hero, is telling me just shoot like short, quick text. And I texted him and he texted back one minute later. If he texted back 10 minutes later, I would have quit football, transferred mm-hmm. out. Um, and he just opened up my head and one is like, OK, I don't see who I am yet. I, I don't see where I can take this yet, but he sees something in me. So it's it, it that's a big piece of what I took from him too. Is like uh, most people don't see where they can go. They, they they don't see what they have in you. You me like none of us really see what we are capable of ourselves. But other people can look at you and see that, and other people can show you that, and other people can give you a little bit of faith and being like, hey. I know you're not there yet. I know you don't see that yet, but eventually it's going to get there. Um, and a lot of people, that's all they need. All they need is just somebody just to be a little bit of a rock and be like, hold up, like, just take a little deep breath. You got so much more in you. I understand life is hard right now. I understand you're going through a flood right now. Um, I understand everything is, is, is going bad right now. Um, but if you just hold on and you continue to do the right things, good things are going to happen and you have so much more in you. And that's probably the biggest thing that I took from him that I apply to our coaching now is just be that rock for people. You, it's, it's not you. you. You are not doing it. You are not motivating people. You are not inspired. You are not doing anything for people. You're just giving them a rock. You're giving them a space to want to be themselves and then open up into being the full version of themselves that they could be. Uh, without them, without life taking them, because life, man, like life is this flood. Life, life will smack you and smack you and smack you, and all it is is a test. It's like, okay, do you do you actually want to do what you say you want to do? Do you want to be the person that you say you want to be? And it, it's this massive test over and over again. And if you're not told it's this test, you get smacked. You're like, what in the hell was like? What just happened to me? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for a lot of people, you just need just a little bit of a pause and being that pause for people and having a community in which they can be that pause and have that rock. That that's all you are. That's all. That's all most people need. They have it within them. Yeah, and I think that's a great perspective to have. I I grew up training, um, you know, at an athlete specific gym, and um, I remember, you know, the if I didn't show up one day, getting that text from the coach, like, "Yo, where are you at? Like, are you doing okay?" It wasn't like, "Why didn't you show up?" <laughs> you know, idiot. You're supposed to be getting big, right? It was, "Hey, like, are you good?" Like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I care about you, and I always thought that was huge, and that's why I kept going. That's why you know. Um, I still am in contact with my coaches today. Um, so I guess walk me through, uh, you talk about moving from a small town here to a big city. What was your headspace like? I mean, I, I moved real far away as well here to the Twin Cities and it's been tough, right? Like it, it was real tough and I'm sure coming into an environment where you're around a lot more people was tough as well. Yeah, and, and that was the thing. It's like you, you came from a small town to a, to a big city and the small town you knew I knew everybody from my senior class to, I think it was fourth grade, like everybody's name, Um, everybody. Uh, And you come here and you are a speck on a speck on a speck. And and that is such an eye-opening experience. And it's something so powerful to like grasp like, oh, like, there, there are different, the world is way bigger than you could absolutely possibly know. And that was such a, once I wrapped my head around it and I was like, I got out of this, woe is me, this pity party, like thought process of like just being down and just doing like this freshman struggle, like every, every freshman struggles, every person going through. And once I got out of that, I'm like, man, this is, this is one so cool. There's, there's so many more people and thought processes and, and different cultures and, and different things to learn from and grab from that you can move your life forward with and you can learn from everybody, man. And that, that's such a, that was such a cool, like, 
once I accepted that I don't know everything, that I'm not everything, that I am this little speck, I feel like that opens up the, the, the possibility to be like, oh, I can go learn from that person. I can yeah. go learn from this person. I can just sit back and, and listen to this conversation and take in what I need to take in and grab from that. And that, that was super, super eye-opening to me is putting myself kind of in place. Like it just puts you in place. It's like, okay, you're not all that matters. You know, not everybody knows you and not everybody needs to know you. And, and once you humble yourself a little bit there and you, you open your mind to go and learn from everybody, that the exponential growth is, is massive. And for me, it was also the failure aspect too. It's like, once you see yourself as that like speck of a speck of a speck, it, it becomes much easier to fail and you need to fail to grow. Like if, if you're not failing, you, you're just not putting yourself out there and you're continuing to be the same person. That's what you see with so many people. It's like so scared to fail. They accept their place in this like hierarchy of, of man. Um, and, and they would rather be a six out of 10 than push to be an eight or a 10 out of 10, because mm -hmm. if they push, they could fall to a four or two. So you're, you're, you're not content, but you're much more comfortable being a six out of a 10 than trying to push and be an eight out of 10. But once you accept the fact that you are this spec out of spec out of spec and nobody really cares, like I could go fail and I could disappear tomorrow and nobody like, not that your loved ones don't care. It's, it's not that nobody cares in that sense, but yeah, it's like yeah. the, generally nobody knows who you are. Nobody is really watching. They're caring about their own things. So I can go push and try to be the 10 out of 10, try to be the 20 out of 10 and really throw myself out there and be myself while I'm doing it rather than trying to hide and like hold on to being this six out of 10. Um, it, it's super eye opening and freeing to like live your own life and tell your own story and make your own movie, which, which I feel like a lot of people get, they're so nervous. Like people are so nervous to yeah. do that. I mean, I, I was to start this podcast yeah. too, that push to get over the fact that you're going to fail. Like when I like started this, I felt like, what was in the back of my head, you know, laying in bed at night, I'm like, what are people going to think of, of me? But really, the the point is that no one cares what you're doing. No one's really watching. You know, you hope they are. And, and you know, your loved ones do care, like you say. But, um, yeah, getting over that hump for me has been really difficult. Um, but now getting over it, it's like, like you said, pushing myself to be 8 out of 10 to a 10 out of 10, you know, that type of stuff. And I, I think that's a great point that you make. But um, so were you an exercise science major here at St. Thomas? Yeah. Yep. Exercise science major. Yeah. And then so you talk about getting all these different perspectives. It seems like you took a lot of different perspectives in, in college or, you know, in the past because you're, you're doing all this social media stuff um, for your your gym. Yeah. You, you have so many different outlets to where uh, you put your voice out there. So how did you, you know, learn, I guess, the strategy that you've taken in terms of promoting yourself? Yeah, that's probably the same way you're doing it right now, figuring it out, man. Like I, I left college with this, like I wanted to be a college strength coach. I, like I had my, I thought I had all this like TTT college strength yeah. coach, division three levels. So I was, I was at St. Olaf. Then I got the job to St. Thomas and I was like, okay, I'm just going to continue continually work my way up to be like the head coach of Alabama, you know, like yeah. just this linear pathway. Um, and I did it in my first year out of St. Olaf. I'm like, this isn't it. This isn't what I want to do with my life. Uh, and I accepted that I actually paid attention to what I wanted to do with my life, which I feel like is a big piece of it too. And then I pivoted uh, and I opened up Yoakum Strength and I, and I did that. But then it was like figuring out, okay, I know the college routes and no social media and not voicing what I want to voice is not the way that I want to live. That's not who I want to be. So if 
who I want to be is somebody that is free, somebody that is voicing what they want to voice and somebody that's not trapped in being a strength coach. I, I, I value that a huge piece. It's like, I don't really care about exercises. I don't really care about lift. You know, like it's such a small piece of life. How can I talk about things that matter? And branching out what I wanted to do with my life and then building out a life around that and working on it was a huge piece of it. So it's like, okay, I know I want to voice what I want to voice and I want to be free. How can I do that? Social media, man, social media is sitting there ready. It's, it's this lottery ticket people are refusing to grab because it's like edgy to say like, I don't do social media or you, you have the other aspect of uh, people are just nervous and, and you have that, but it's like this freedom piece and this lottery ticket that to grab, like you can put what you want to say out there. And, and it's, it's so, it's so many good pieces because obviously there's a bad side of social media. There's the addiction that you can use it to like just yeah, waste time sitting on TikTok scrolling. But if you're using it the right way, it can curate your life in so many good ways. Like I have the ability to put out my thoughts and either my thoughts are good and it hits a lottery and I grab the algorithm and everything's going right. And I become a millionaire and I do all this or more, and this is way, way, way more likely, your thoughts are stupid and they suck and people are going to tell you they suck and the, the algorithm's going to show you that it sucks and people are going to be like, hey, dude, that's not it. And you know what that does? That allows you to refine your thoughts. So you start off, you post, it sucks. Of course it sucks. You're not good at it. It's the first time. It's like the first time throwing a baseball. You're not going to be great at it. Mm -hmm. You post again, you do it and you, you re refine your process and it's like this going to war. It's sharp. I talk about sharpening your ax and, and sharpening your sword and going to battle. It's like, continually showing up and writing a piece. And this is something that I've challenged myself this past year is like making one post every single day to speed up that refinement. Every single day, I'm going to spend at least an hour to two hours writing and working on my writing process and working on my creative process. And that's the only way that you get better at it. And you, you put it out there. And now you have all of these eyeballs telling you what works and what doesn't. And, and at some point, you got to be able to be like, okay, just because a mass is saying something doesn't mean it's right or wrong. But a lot of times there's a lot of really good stuff there. But if you're unwilling to put yourself out there because you are nervous, you're never going to grow and you're never going to know if your ideas are good or bad. And you're going to sit in that kind of cycle of just being yourself rather than opening up to being who you could be and who you want to be and who you actually are, which I feel like is a big piece. So it's this refinement process. It's just like lifting weights. It's just like doing anything you want to get better at. You have to continually do it. Um, and, and it's also something I really enjoy. I, mean, I, I, I consider myself a writer before anything else. I started writing when I was in like fourth grade. I wrote this huge, like a huge reader and like Harry Potter nerd yeah, and yeah, like yeah. Twilight nerd. But I wrote this like Harry Potter type, like sci-fi novel when I was in like fourth grade. Like no way, yeah, like yeah. a real novel, full like, on. Like it was like a hundred pages. No I, I never way. printed it. Never printed it. It's oh, just in a word document. It back I know. Sometimes I've been trying to find it. It's in this old like desktop computer we have at our house, and yeah. I, I have to find it. But yeah, I wrote like a hundred pages on. Like just orcs and elves and that's like that awesome. type of stuff. So oh yeah, my so God. that's like my original like writing thought process. And I've always had that creative brain, but yeah, putting it out there to the world and, and really refining that thought process and refining my message and what I want to say, I feel like is, is really important. Yeah. And you do write out these long posts and um, I'm sure the reaction is mixed. What, what have you gotten positive and negative um, feedback from, from these posts? Yeah, I mean, it depends on what post is which. And this is where I really feel like when you do put yourself out there, like it is twofold. You do have to listen to the good and the bad. Um, I feel like the biggest message of, of that point that you, you've said is you also have to know yourself enough to know what you need to take from the good and what you need to take mm -hmm. from the bad. Because there's been messages I've put out there that I'm like, that, that 
stubbornly, that is me. That is what I believe. That is my message. That is not, that is not a thought process I'm working on. And you will get backlash from people. Mm -hmm. Um, and when you get backlash from people, you take it and get, you look at that person. Who are you getting backlash from? Uh, and, and what are you going to do with that? Because you also see it's like in social media, you'll get backlash and people just completely change their message to whatever their backlash is. It's like it's a it's a very much an appeal to authority um, society we have. It's yeah. like somebody farther up than me said something. I got to go change what I want to say. Um, and, and that piece is, is you really, you really have to know yourself and that's not stubbornly like, cause there are thoughts I'll put out there where like, I'm working on this thought process. I, I'm developing this and a coach will say something and nudge it in different directions. But I, I feel like a big thing too, is you, you have to know who you are. Um, so you're not appealing to authority. And if somebody's going to tell you something and when they say something, when they give you criticism, know where that criticism's coming from. Um, and see, okay, is there truth in that criticism? And if there's truth, then you take it regardless mm -hmm. of if it hurts or not, or is it that person's bias, that person's beliefs that per you're just going against that person? Because I think a big thing in society is like you, you, you have these, this top of the hierarchy and so many people are scared to push back. And that, that's something that I'm very much like, even though I was at St. Thomas, I got myself into trouble a lot of times here because mm -hmm. it's, it's speaking your truth right or wrong in that moment, speak your truth, speak what you believe, stand for what you believe, uh, and then actually pay for the consequences after good or bad. And, and I feel like that's a big thing that a lot of society, again, is so scared to do. It's, it's a, nobody is willing to actually speak their truth. Um, nobody's actually willing to pay the consequences of what's going on. Cause if you stay in the middle ground, there are no consequences. Ex that, that's what people believe. But the yeah. consequence is that the hierarchy stays up, whether they are right or wrong. So now there's no truth being spoken to the people that need to hear the truth and the people in power, they sit in these echo chambers and, and somebody needs to say their truth. Everybody needs to say their truth because mm -hmm. there is a consequence to not saying your truth. And that's other people ruling over without this truth being said. Well, and those consequences can be good, like you said. You know, you're yep. taking the the negative feedback and, you know, making making yourself better because of it, right? Like, I think that's a huge piece as well. Yeah. Um. So, obviously, starting a gym is not an easy thing to do. Um. And it sounds like it's been a real long process. Um. I believe you started off just selling programs. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I was selling online programs. Um. When I when I started when I was at St. Olaf. And that's when I was in that thought process of like, I'm just going to be a college strength coach. Like, and I hated the selling the online programs. Like I hated doing the, really? the private business mm -hmm. side of things because I had, I was so stuck in my head of like, this is exactly what I was going to do. Uh, and I, the only reason I did it is because I had athletes that I was really, really good friends with and really tight with that I couldn't work with because I was in Northfield. Um, that told me, Hey, like I need this, like our strength program here is not it. Um, yeah. so, so I wrote it so that, yeah, that was the start of that. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you build up from that? Well, actually I'll ask this first. So like you've mentioned a few times, why, why, um, or what made you realize that the original route you thought of being a college strength coach was not going to work out for you? The, the speaking of truth, like it's a, it's a huge thing. There's, you sit in these meetings and it, and it's just like, or if you are not in the echo chamber and you're not saying the things that people in power want you to say, you're gone. Mm -hmm. and, and I was witnessing this. I, I was, I would witness, we'd sit in these meetings, both at St. Thomas and at St. Olaf, both with either head coaches or with administration. Um, and you would sit in these meetings, administration would say something and every single person in the room would be like, yes, that's such a great idea. That's such a great idea. Oh my God, that's amazing. And I would say like, 
what? Like, what are we talking about? Like, you're saying you're going to, like, you're taking the safety of the athlete out of this. Like, you're taking – a lot of it's, like, uh, taking the safety of the athlete out of it, taking the, the actual person that you're talking about out of it, and just throwing whatever – like, they, putting a product out there rather than thinking about the athlete and the human. Mm-hmm. And I'd leave these meetings – and all of these coaches, as soon as the and it was it's so crazy. As soon as the meeting would be over, all these coaches would say, "That was so stupid. Like I can't believe like they're saying that stuff. I can't believe that's happening." I'm like, it's, "Yeah." The whole point of a meeting is for you to say that. Like, if you're just agreeing with this, what this person is saying, how one, how are they supposed to know it's a stupid idea? Two, how is it ever supposed to change? Like, I would sit in these meetings. Everybody would say yes, and as soon as they would leave these meetings, everybody would say no. And it was, it was such a paradox. And then I really, really thought about it. I'm like, what is keeping these people from saying their actual truth? And it's like, they have families. Like, they need entire, the job. Yeah. They need the job. Their entire salary is based off of this. And, and I think this goes deeper than any coaching, deeper than any college. Like, this is all, all of society right now. It's like you trap yourself. Like, you are trapped. It's the, the handcuff of the salary. And you are required. Like, part of your salary, if you want your salary, if you want your paycheck, if you want what the, that cookie that the admin has given you, you got to say yes. And I'm like, I, absolutely not. Like I, I'm setting myself up in a way in which I can say no in these meetings. And that's what I did. I built out Yoakum Strength in a way of, so I was doing Yoakum Strength and college sector at the same time. Um, and it got to a point in which Yoakum Strength was making enough money to be able to say no in these meetings. And the funny thing was for the longest time, that was allowing me to excel in both colleges that I worked with because I was the only person saying no. Yeah. And obviously there, there was ruffles and then the feathers and stuff like that. But finally somebody is saying something that wasn't just, yes, uh-huh. yeah, everything you're saying is amazing. Like nothing I say, nothing any human saying is always amazing. Like there's nuance to everything. Um, and somebody has to point out that nuance and somebody has to say no. And you have to set yourself up in a way in which you're able to say that. Um, and once I set myself up in a way and to say no and speak my truth, um, everything kind of took off from there. So that was that was really the big eye-opener to – like if you don't have that financial freedom, if you don't have that salary freedom, it's it's really tough to say no. That is yeah. not to take ownership away because I also feel like a lot of people like they justified in themselves of saying, oh, I have to say that. No, like as a human, you have a choice to say yes or no. You have a choice to stand up or not stand up. Um, and if you want to go as deep as like stuff with like um, Nazi Germany and going back there, the people that are like obviously way smaller scales here mm-hmm. uh, in these coaching sectors, but it's the same thing. The, the, these people like in Nazi Germany were saying, I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to until you get to a point of concentration camps. It's like, absolutely not. You didn't, you did not have to, but it, it's yeah. like kind of this lie that we tell ourselves until you get to a point of concentration camps, until you get to a point in which no truth is being spoken. Um, and so many people through, and history always repeats itself. Um, and, and you see this cycle of human nature and it's like, we, we just forget, we just forget and we're so focused on and we come up with our own excuses. And that, that's just not something I was okay with and being able to take a step out and be like, you got to speak your truth. So you are not responsible for what is going to happen if you don't um, was a huge part of starting up your own business. Yeah, yeah. And you want to be your own boss. You want to be the one running the meetings. And I'm sure you've welcomed a, a culture now of where people can say no to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a huge part of it, too. It's like one thing in the college strength world, it's like all these coaches are robots. Like they're robots. They're wearing the same clothes. They're doing the same thing. They're saying the same thing. They're being the same rah-rah coach. And then of course, all of their players, when they come in are doing the same thing. Like they're just being robots and they're not saying what they want to say. They're not speaking their truth. Um, and 
I was like, absolutely not. So even when I was at the college sector, I was trying to wear weird stuff. I was wearing mismatching socks. I was like yeah. trying to be the goof and just speaking to people like they're human. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like that's such a big piece. And once you able, once you're able to build a culture like that, and, and you hear conversations and you, you hear people talking about stuff that is not weight room stuff or stuff that you're supposed to talk about. And one of the beauties of that is they are speaking their truth. They're speaking what they actually think. And you can have a conversation with them. Like that's the, that's the biggest thing is like, yeah. is that truth that you're speaking right now? Is that actually truth? Um, and they're saying it and then you can actually direct them in life. Like one of the things is like all these coaches are like, Oh, leadership. I'm a leader. I got to show up like that. It's like, you're not like, you're just hiding who you are. Like, that's not a leader. You're hiding who you are behind this mm-hmm. like veil of this character that you've built up. And then all these players are just, they know the game. They know who they have to be in front of you. They know exactly what they have to say to get more playing time to, for you to say, um, for you to tell the head coach that you're doing a good job. Um, so they know the game that they have to play and they're going to play it. Like humans are going to play the game. They know they have to play to get the reward that they want to get. Um, so take those games away and then actually hear what these athletes are struggling with the, the mental health, the, the drugs, the partying, like the girlfriend, boyfriend, even small, like, but all of these things that people are struggling with and nobody is talking about, or we're pretending to talk about by sending them to like a one hour seminar and like people that also like you, we have these mental health seminars and you, you have this person that is a robot talking to these kids and it's like nothing is actually being done or said because nobody actually wants to go to how dark things can get. Mm-hmm. Um, and nobody wants to talk about how dark things can get. And it's not that you always have to take your athletes there. It's just you just have to be a real person and they will tell you the darkness that's in them. They will tell you the things that they're going through. Um, and then you can actually help them and actually guide them. And a lot of that guiding is just like, just again, it's just holding ground. It's like things are going to get better. Um, the flood is not going to wipe you out. You just hold on. Don't make the life-altering choice stay, make the good decisions for this time being, and just being that space. But I feel like a lot of times that's ignored. And then you have an 18, I mean, even younger, a 16 to 20 year old kid thrown into this flood with no advice, with nobody yeah. that's actually willing to talk to them about this. And they have, they have no direction. They, they have nothing there. So, um, I feel like building up that community aspect is, is, is a huge piece of being a coach of being a leader. When you're a coach, you want to make people better. And I think making part of making people better is not just on the athlete side of things, on the weightlifting side of things, right? It's making them a better person and, and um, helping them with their issues, right? Like that seems to be a, a huge part that gets ignored a lot. Well, it's, it's also like what – if you want to make a better – like if you are this – because if you are an analy- analytical coach and it's like, I just want to make a better athlete. Like if that's actually how your brain works, I just want to make a better athlete. That's my job. Okay. The biggest thing that holds most athletes back is their brain. I, I've never met an athlete that is less physically developed than they are less mentally developed. Like almost every single athlete has some cognitive, physic, or um, psychological or spiritual deficiency that they need to work on that is going to make them such a better athlete than the physical side because everybody is doing the physical side. Everybody can develop the physical side. A kid right now at home can do, do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 squats every single day by themselves. Like that, That is not what kids are missing. The low-hanging fruit, if you do want to create a good athlete, is making the better human, is allowing them to work and develop those physical or the psychological and the spiritual side of things. Um, so even if you are in that, that, that analytical mind of I need to create a better athlete, like – 
the way you do that, what the athlete is being limited by is the psychological and spiritual side of things and the reason for being there and the why for working out and all of these aspects, the why for living, the, the why do I play my sport? Why am I doing this? What happens if I mess up? How do I handle failure? How do I handle success? What happens when everything is given to me because I just became a million dollar athlete? Like, all of these principles are what athletes struggle with. And we, and, and the reason strength coaches do this, we, we, we hide it behind, I just want to make a better athlete. I, it's, it's because we don't want to go there, you know? But it's like, mm -hmm. we know the, the rate limiting factor. Everybody knows the rate limiting factor in, in everybody's life. Um, and we don't want to focus on those things because we don't know how to. And, and that's hard as a coach. And, I'm, and that's what – there's a lot of parts of it that I don't know how to. And I'm, I'm trying to learn and focus on and help each individual athlete through. But as a strength coach, it, the, the, the ego is so high of like you know you are good at the physical aspect. And that's mm -hmm. why you like staying there. You know you can program and do sets and reps and do the perfect barbell squat. And you know you can teach that. And it's really confident. And it's really nice to stay in your little playground there. Um, and you don't think you can talk about those things and you probably are unable to right now, but the skill set then you need to develop as a coach yourself is to go towards those things rather than continue to stay where you're comfortable. Yeah. And I'm sure that's tough, uh, you know, to learn, right? Like, especially starting off in the college, you know, situation, but now building up your own gym. So, um, I guess give me a rundown on what you do on a daily basis at, at the gym. Like, um, who, who's coming in, who, who are you training? What are you trying to focus on? Yeah, we have all kinds of athletes. So we have Osh, we have club tennis, yeah. we have rugby players. We, have, we've had NFL athletes come in, people training for the combine, baseball, like all sports. We have, we have athletes that are like 30 year old dads that just have no interest in playing sports. They just want to feel and move better and be a part of a community that allows them to do it. We have uh, Mark Dowdle, who's like this ultra runner that's running like 200 miles a day, you know, like he's doing crazy stuff like that. Um, but just a community of movers, a community of people that, and I like the, the, the term community movers because you're, you're moving your body physically, but mm -hmm. we're also moving forward spiritually and moving forward psychologically together. So trying to build a community movers, um, we, we go every day at the gym. Um, we start off with some sort of movement. Uh, a lot of times, like uh, one of the big pieces that we do is uh, our, our first 10 to 15 minutes is it's just a movement game to engage the psychological aspect, to move the body in a different way, to get the community aspect, get you talking to mm -hmm. your to um, your your teammate, to the person that you're training with, uh, building a community of like trying different movements, opening yourself up to failure, I think is a big piece, learning a different skill. Um, so we'll start off with that aspect, open up the, the, the psychological piece, bring a lot of energy. That's another thing that we talk about. It's like a lot of these college kids specifically, it's like you're living a zombie apocalypse, especially if you're an athlete. Like you wake up, you're told where to eat, what time to eat, and what to eat when you eat it. Like if you go into the view, like you're mm -hmm. told that's all mapped out for you. you in class, you're, you're not allowed to speak. You're told where to sit. You're told what to listen to. Uh, then you go to practice and you go to lifts and it's the same thing. Like in practice, you're, everything's laid out. The schedule is laid out to this is what you do at this time. This is when you show up. This is what you wear. This is what you say to get playing time. Um, and, and trying to break them out of that zombie apocalypse of like, you can come here and you're going to explore and you're going to have fun and you're going to move and you can say whatever you want to say and you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and, and just give them a little bit of freedom to break out of that zombie apocalypse. So we'll start off with some of the movement aspect, then we'll go a little bit more like sports specific in quotation. So maybe it's a little bit more agility based, a little mm -hmm. bit more speed based, working a little bit more whatever the athlete of the day needs to work on. A lot of it for us is team sports. So we'll work on a lot of agility aspects and then we'll get into the weight room. Um, 
and then it's more traditional like weight room stuff. So we'll take all the energy that we just built up in the, the opening of the workout and we'll funnel it into the intent um, to, okay, we want to lift a lot of heavy weights. We want to jump really, really high right now, but we just built up a lot of psychological energy. We're going to funnel it into here. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll funnel it into a little bit of a, we call them isometrics. We call it an armor building series. And this is a little bit more stand still, hold something for a long time. And this is the internal psychological side of things. So if I'm having you hold an ISO lunge, you're holding this position for two minutes, let's say. Um, you just created all this energy. Everything was fun. Everything was great. You have this community aspect. Now I'm drawing you super internal to you are holding one position without moving. How do you handle that? Because uh, a lot of athletes can get up. They can get super excited. They can go for a little bit of time. It's great. Um, but how do you handle when you're with your own breath and you're sitting with your own body and you can't move for two minutes? How do you handle your own thoughts? How do you handle your breath? How do you handle the ability to bounce back out of that? So we'll come out of those isometrics and we'll open it back up to a little bit more high energy stuff. And how do you bounce back? Are you able to go from that low energy environment, that internal environment to something high external? And you'll see that in sports a lot too. It's like you just hit a really, really nice shot. Then you get a kind timeout called you gotta go sit on the sidelines you yeah. got a media break you got to sit there that's your internal that's a time where you got to think sit with your thoughts a lot and you'll see a lot of athletes struggle with that you'll see them like they start to they get cold like psychologically they get cold they start thinking about something they lose focus they come out of it then they get thrown back out there so really trying to train our athletes to be exposed to a lot of those different environments and then from there we just open it up and um and with a little bit of higher energy so they can leave the day on higher energy and then we go from there yeah that's really interesting that you talk about kind of trying to train the psychological part of a, a sport in the gym because I, I feel like that's not something um that's done a lot right like you know most of the time you do your cardio at the, at the start you know then you move to lifting and it's not really designed like this so how did you come about this idea are you taking it from other people are you you know you know taking pieces from other people or um, how did you learn and, and then how did you implement it yourself? Yeah, I would say a lot of our methods are ta were taken from a lot of other people, mm -hmm. but the, the, the psychological component is just paying attention. It's like, what again, it's like watching sport, listening to athletes, talking it. where do they struggle? Like not a single athlete when they're, when they're stepping onto the plate uh, and they're in baseball. And th this was really opening. I play a lot of slow pitch softball. It's mm -hmm. like, you have the perfect program. You're doing the barbell squats. You're doing all your legs. You're doing all your core exercises. Yeah. You're doing all your cardio. You're doing everything. You step up on a plate. You don't care. Like you're not thinking about that. Like you're nervous. Yeah. Like you have uh, you have your girlfriend. You have your mom. You have yeah. your parents in a crowd. Uh, you have a coach that's sitting there yelling at you. You have teammates that you've played with all year. Um, the game is on the line. Like that is what you're thinking about in that moment. And, and doing going to so slow pitch softball, and I was a hammer thrower at St. Thomas as well. Um, it, those individual moments is really eye opening. Like where do these athletes struggle? It, they struggle in that psychological component. And that's not to say you can recreate that perfectly without being their coach in those moments. Because in those moments, as a coach, you can definitely build up environments in which to challenge and do it. But as their strength coach, as their movement coach, as their sports performance coach, how can I simulate that? How can I have an athlete be exposed to that? And that's the same thing with a lot of agility drills. It's you, you have a lot of athletes that don't they do not handle losing very well. Um, and that is, that is the thing they need to work on losing. So a lot of my greatest athletes, I will put them purposely on a team that is terrible. So they lose every single time. Like, mm -hmm. and how do you handle that? And like, or challenging an athlete to lose and, and like 
talking little shit to them. Like, how do you handle when somebody talks shit to you? What happens? Like, what do you do psychologically? And most people will melt. They, they don't. And it's because it's just like a muscle that hasn't been trained before. It's a neural pathway that hasn't been laid before. You don't know how to handle it. It's like me asking somebody that hasn't lifted before to go squat 500 pounds. No strength coach in the world would be okay with that. Like no coach would be like, of course they can't squat 500 pounds. It's like, okay, why do you think that athlete can go out there and handle those psychological pressures without it ever being trained? Like, you've mm -hmm. never trained that, now you got to go do it. So really, I, like, it was really eye-opening just talking to athletes, seeing where I myself athletically struggle and seeing where other athletes struggle. And it was never the, never thinking about the squats and everything. It was all the psychological component. Yeah, and that was, that was me growing up playing hockey, like going to the bench after a good shift. It's hard to go back out there and do it again. Hockey is a really good example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's oh, like uh, exactly what you're talking about with doing the high energy stuff, then doing the isometrics. Like that, that is hockey to its core. Like yeah, hard shift, sit down for another two minutes. Yeah, and it's like you got to sit with your thoughts, and especially if you have a bad shift, it's hard to build a game after you know you start the game on a bad shift. Um, so I think it's really interesting to have that perspective that you do. How important do you think it is for you to know the sport of the athletes that you're working with too? Uh, I, I think, well, the, the, the biggest thing, I'm not saying you need to be an expert in every single sport that you will ever see with your athletes. So it's like, uh, I'm, I'm not a great basketball player. I, I, but I, promise I can train basketball athletes uh, and I know the sport of basketball and watching it, but I'm not a great basketball player. Yeah. What I feel like the biggest thing is these coaches don't do anything. They don't expose themselves to any sport or any actual challenge. So what sport coaches do, what strength coaches do is they are really comfortable. They're, they're, they're built like me. Like we are naturally just built. We're big shoulders. We're squattier. And we, the reason we gravitate towards the weight room is because we are good at the weight room. And this is something that a lot of strength coaches do not understand. We, we talk like it's hard work. It's a grind. It's like, no, you are five foot eight and your legs were built like tree trunks and you were just naturally good. That's not to say you didn't also work hard, but you were naturally really, really good at this. And as soon as you were naturally good at something, people gave you attention for it. And that, that people give you attention and people give you love. That is the number one thing that drives a human is attention and love. And, and attention is because it leads or feels like love. So you are getting this, you are getting love for doing something you're good at. That is what's driving you. That is deeper than anything else. So, you naturally got love the first time that you did this. So you double down like, oh, I get love when I do this. It's like mm -hmm. a drug. I, I get like it. The, I get drugs when I do this. I am really good. I, okay, I need to spend more time here. Uh, so strength coaches will just double down and they'll stay in this, this dungeon of places where they know they are good at because they get love, because they get attention there. But, and, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with a meathead just being a meathead and yeah. enjoying it and loving that. What is wrong is when you try to explain extrapolate that and put it on these athletes that are then they're not they're not stuck in that weight room they they are they that is not what either where they are getting their love or when that when they step onto the field it's just not it's not the same thing and we confuse this grind like hardcore mindset we, we confuse ourselves so we think it's grind we think it's hardcore we think these athletes just aren't tough enough when really it's just like we we are the ones that are mentally soft because we are not exposing ourselves to these challenging environments. So that's something that I really took it upon myself to, I'm going to go pick my, I'm going to go do things that I suck at. I'm going to go, I've never played mm -hmm. baseball before. I'm going to go learn softball. 
I'm going to go learn. I've never played a tennis sport before, a racket sport before. I used to be my hand-eye and my, like, everything I've always done has been big person things, like yeah, defensive yeah. line, wrestling, throwing. Um, so trying to pick up, like, hand-eye coordinations, like fine motor activities, moving my body in a better way that I'm always just naturally not very good at. Um, and so trying to, like, pick up pickleball, trying to play a little bit of tennis, mm-hmm. like, learning these things, exposing myself. What are these athletes actually exposed to? Where are they struggling? Um and not just trapping myself in something I am already know I'm good at. Like I know I'm in the 1% of if I walk into a bar, if I walk into a weight room, I'm going to basically be a star wherever I go. Mm-hmm. Not, not egotistic, just because I, it's who I, it's just what I'm built to do. You, yeah. So if, can I go expose myself to environments in which I'm going to suck at and how do I handle that failure and how am I actually able to learn the things that these athletes are going to be required to learn? And then teaching athletes based off the lessons that I learned myself. Yeah. When did you pull yourself out of that? Like you like meathead perspective, right? Like I, you talk about, you are clearly built to, you know, be good in the weight room. Right. So how do you pull yourself out of that? Or I guess, when did you pull yourself out of that and realize that's not what being a coach is about? I, I think, well, I, the, the podcast, I have my own podcast and we have like 200 guests on there and a lot of coaches were continually hitting on a lot of that stuff. I think the very first thing happened when I was a thrower here, um, and, and I had done this, and this is when I was massively into this meathead, like as long as I program everything perfectly and I lift the right amount of weight and I do this and I eat the right food, everything is going to go perfectly. Um, and my senior year throwing here, I walked into the ring my senior year and I had done everything, had done all the programs, do a T, everything that on paper was perfect. You're supposed to do, And I was, yeah. holy sh crap like I am so nervous like what is happening I'm falling apart in the circle I'm th- so that really started like okay there's something else there uh and then continually like again softball was a big on a walk up to the plate I had done everything right I'm like I am nervous and there's no crowd here because we're playing slow pitch adult yeah, softball yeah. like nobody's and I'm <laughs> still a nervous. random park yeah you know yeah. like imagine us imagine a sport where you have you're playing baseball and there's 30,000 people watching you know yeah. so I think that was the the, the biggest eye-opener there and then I had a lot of people come on the podcast that were that were in these these camps and they're like, go try this stuff out, go try it. And I would try it and I would suck at it. And I'm like, okay, so I say I'm strong, I say I'm a good strength coach, and I can't do any of these basic movements. Like, that's probably not a really good sign. Like, why can I not do this? And then really get a I got addicted to like learning the the skill acquisition side of it and picking up new things and challenging my way myself in a way in which I'm actually being challenged, not adding five more pounds to something that I'm already good at. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then you spoke about your podcast a little bit, I guess. Why, why did you start that? How has that helped you, um, throughout this journey? Yeah, that, that was, again, that probably goes way back to when I, when I realized I didn't want to be a college strength coach, I, I was looking at all of the like different pathways I could take things. And I'm like, I really wanted to talk to all these coaches and like I started up a podcast. I was like, if I just tell them I have a podcast, I bet they'll talk to me. Yeah. So I like, it's like these, I, the, the coolest thing, like some of these coaches would have like thousand dollar an hour consults, you know, like if you mm-hmm. wanted to meet with them, you had to pay a thousand dollars and they do a consult. Um, and I would just say, Hey, I have a podcast. Do you want to come on? And they would come on for free. Yeah, and all I would of get a sudden the thousand dollars doesn't exist free. anymore. Yeah. And now you're getting content and talking <laughs> yeah. to this coach. So it, it was really that is like, I wanted to meet these, all these coaches and, 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 and the, another big thing is I uh, like, I had a really bad speech impediment when I was growing up uh, and I wanted to learn to become a better speaker. Like, how can I learn to become a better at, I've always been a good writer, but how can I speak better? How can mm-hmm. I get my message across that way? And I think it's a very powerful, obviously a very powerful way to communicate. Um, 
so I wanted to build up those aspects. I'm like, Hey, I got to go do it. Like I have to go do it. So it was twofold of like, I wanted to talk to all these coaches and learn all these things. Uh, and then two, I wanted to work on, uh, a skill set I knew I didn't have at the time. That's a big step to push yourself to do that. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you grew up nervous about having that speech impediment, right? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like there'd be a, the ability to like not be able to say the words that you want to say. And, and I think a lot of it's too, it, it was in like middle school, high school, um, at the time to where like everything that your social circle says to you, mm-hmm. like it's so like powerful. Like now I'm at the yeah, point of, of like, course, yeah. anybody can give me, like anybody can pretty much say anything and I'm comfortable enough in my own skin to be like, okay, like it doesn't matter, yeah. like yeah. whatever. But at that time, like you're, you're stuck in this, like you, you're just so uncomfortable in your own skin and rightfully so because you haven't done anything and you haven't yeah. proven it. Like you haven't proven that you're, you're, you are going to do anything in life. So when people say you're a failure, there's probably a good chance that you could be a failure and, and all these things. So you have that social pressure. Um, so yeah, that, that was a big component, like always growing up in the back of the head. Um, and I, I just got to a point of like, you can either just say you're going to live the rest of your life with a speech impediment, whatever it is. Like you, you have this, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, you're not smart enough, like well, you're not charismatic enough, whatever. You Like these are all character traits that you can build out and work on. And it's like you can either say you're not or you can actually go and work and do it. Um, and, and that was something that I really wanted to do with my life. Yeah. Um, so going back to how you start off uh, your training with games and such, what is the importance of an athlete having fun in the gym and how does that make them better as they continue their workout? And I mean, there, there, there's so many pieces to it. Like if you want to go just like straight meathead and straight science based, you, you have the neuroplasticity side of it. It's like the number one thing you're trying to get athletes to do is, is learn new skills and, and acquire new skills and acquire new abilities. And to do that, you have to enter a neuroplastic state, uh, which is the brain's ability to build the new neurons and build new, new neural pathways uh, and that, that, that's how we learn different ways, uh, different ways to move. And, and that's as a strength coach, as a sports performance coach, that's what you're always trying to do. You're trying to get them to move or solve movement problems in a better way. And to do that, you need to create a neuro, new neural pathway for them to be able to do that. And play is the number one way to get them into a neuroplastic state. So you, you have this science aspect of it. You also have this side of it is like this, again, the psychological side of it. It's like if your athletes hate showing up, they're not going to show up And the the, the the only way to get good at something is to spend 10 years obsessing over said thing. And this is something that people get so lost in. It's like they want six weeks to, six weeks to greatness. The only way to get good at something is to spend 10 years to, like being completely obsessed over it. And the way to get obsessed over it is you have to find, you need to have fun doing it. You need to, it needs to be enjoyable. Um, and so part of an athlete is, you, you need you need to lift weights, you need to sprint, you need to jump, you need to do these things. Um, and if you're not, if you don't have fun doing it, you're not going to. And this is, you've seen in a college world all the time, the greatest athletes will skip all the workouts and do all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because it's not fun. It's not enjoyable. They don't want to be there. Um, but it's something that's kind of like you need to, you need to chop the wood, you need to do it. Um, but I... I'm like, so I flipped it on his head. It's like, I don't want them showing up feeling like they need to do this. I want them showing up because they want to do this. And that's the only way I'm going to get them to do this for a long time. So if I want an athlete to show up every single day for four years, I want them to want to show up every day for four years. So the fun aspect of that, like they know they can show up and have fun. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's with all movement. Like we're going to expose them to these movement challenges that it's not going to be brain like numbing. And so regardless of how hard things get, all the athletes always want to show up because like, they're like, Oh, we're going to do something fun today. We have a new challenge today. We're, we're, we're stimulating our athletes. And 
I, I think that's 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 a thing where strength coaches get pretty lazy with. It's like, oh, they just need to grind it again. It's like, no, they don't. That's just you being lazy. That's you not working on your craft. Like these athletes should want to show up to what you want to do. And that that was in the college sector. And then you're in the private sector. They don't want to show up. They're not going to show up. If they don't show up. You don't get paid. Yeah, yeah. So it's like that's all nice. another huge aspect of it. It's like th- there's so many pieces to it. But I, I just feel like a lot of coaches, just, they, they, they get in this grind mindset, and it's because they enjoy lifting weights themselves. It's like the athletes don't care. They don't care. They, they want to show up on Saturday and, like, make plays on the game, like and mm-hmm. make plays on the field. Um, and that's where they have their fun. So why why are you forcing them into your own mold? Like open up your mold a little bit to bring in all communities and all people that they, they want to get better. Like they, mm-hmm. all these athletes want to get better deep down. That's why they're doing it. Uh, you need to find a way to get to them to allow them to get better and allow them to follow on a pathway. Yeah, of course. So how do you keep, how do you come up with new things to, to not keep it stale for them? Mm. That's, I mean, I watch a lot of videos. I, I don't know. I have a creative mindset. Like I, I, that, that is something like I've worked on a creative mindset, but I've also like, again, when I was in fourth grade, I was writing about elves and dwarves and like sword battles and stuff like that. So my brain has always been in like the, the creative realm. I'm not as good analytically. Like that is where my brain is weak, like analytic, like numbers and that type of stuff. Um, memory wise, grabbing onto like facts like that, not as great, but the creative aspect of being able to like craft something in my brain comes up so um just like before this podcast henry was saying i went for a walk like i'll go on these spirit walks uh, i'll just throw on some music and just walk around i'll meditate right before clear the brain and i'll go on these spirit walks walk around um for like 30 minutes and whatever pops up in my brain sometimes they're exercises and i'll just write them down a lot of times they're words um but yeah i'll come up with stuff based off of that or if i have like um if i want to direct the spirit walk a little bit it's like okay i want this stimulus with my athletes empty the brain, go for a little bit of walk. How can I get that stimulus with my athletes? And the brain kind of just, it's like the, an, an antenna from whatever, sending the signal of words and exercises and brains kind of just pops up and paying attention to those things and writing them out. Yeah. So I guess what motivates you to do these things to, to, you know, meditate and clear your brain and then do these walks where you need to come up with something. What, what motivates you to get that done? Why, why are you doing this? Mm, that, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, trying to find the answers myself probably. That's probably a big piece of it. Like trying to trying to find why are you put on this earth and trying to perfect a craft, trying to trying to I think the big piece of it is like trying to weaponize yourself and make yourself strong enough to go against the battle of the question of why are you on this planet? What were you put here to do? Um, and that's, that's a hard, like life altering a question. Why are you here? Like, that is a big question. Why are you doing what you do? Why, why do you do what you do? Why? Like that, that is a hard question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you approach that question without being weaponized, without being strong, without being charismatic, without being able to voice your thoughts, without being able to think about your thoughts, without being able to know your thoughts, like there's so many different pieces. Like I feel like a lot of people don't even know their thoughts. They don't even know what's popping up in their head over and over. Nevertheless, like voicing those thoughts or or understanding your own thoughts or understanding your own emotions, understanding your own body. Like, so I I think what motivates me is this, this continual process of leveling myself up so I can go continually go to battle with the question of why. To go to the battle with why am I here? What is the purpose of all of this? Um, how can we move the world forward through all this? Um, and what's the point? But I, I feel like that question, 
that that's that is the question. That is the question for all of us. Like yeah. why why are we here? What are we doing? Um, and trying to figure that out is is that's your life mission. That that's why you're here. And if you're not approaching that question, the question is going to hit you. Like that's what you hear. Like people talking about like midlife crisis. It's because that question has been haunting you over and over and over and over again. You've tried to ignore it. You've tried to put it in the closet. And at some point that question is going to come and smack you. Um, and if you don't pay attention, it's going to smack you. So my, my, my why right now is to level myself up and face that question head on mm -hmm. and continually face that question and continually get closer to that question. Um, until I have an answer. Yeah, well, and it sounds like you're doing what you enjoy, right? You're having fun, right, on a daily basis, helping people um, as well. So um, I guess what's the future for Yoakum's strength? Are you going to uh, stay where you're at, um, try to build up from, from here? Or? Yeah, uh, well, I say all the time, like, I want to write programs on the beach, so continue to grow the online presence and continue to build that out thing, but continue to be free, speak, speak what I want to speak, say what I want to say, um, and continue the process. Like, I, I don't know if the strength world is where I'm going to be forever. Like, I want to write a book. I want to go a little bit more into those routes. Um, going to a psychedelic conference this summer, I think there's a lot of really, really cool stuff there on, um, like, healing people, healing people from trauma. The more I'm with athletes, the more I'm talking to people and having really great conversations, the more I understand that weight loss, athletic performance, like the more it is based off something happened to that person and they are trying to heal from it and they're using food, they are using uh, sports, they're using these things as a coping mechanisms. And I feel like psychedelics is a really cool pathway to get into the actual reason that they're doing things and helping them a little bit deeper. So I can definitely see that opening stuff up that way and, and going down those pathways. But the future is unknown. I try to try to be here, try to like stay here and, and work on what I can work on. Um, and that is going to and take the pathways that I feel like are going to continue to move me forward. But I'm, ne I'm never set in anything tomorrow. I, the book Illusions is really good. But ba basically, the whole premise of the book is like at any point, you can walk out and leave the movie that mm -hmm. you, you put on. So uh, I think that's probably coming up. The, the more I think about things, the more I brainstorm things that that future is probably nearer than farther away. Um, and then figuring out the next movie that I want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I, I think your perspective is really cool. Um, and I'm going to ask you a totally different question. Ooh, What's your good. favorite movie? What's my favorite movie? Oh man. I'm a big Step Brothers fan. I love yeah. Marvel movies. I'm a geek about Marvel's big Marvel movies. movies. Yeah. I love Marvel <laughs> movies. Um, I'm a big movie guy. Like, I just love going to like the movie theater and getting like oh, movie theater popcorn. Perfect, oh right? my god! You that, sit there, that, you get the popcorn, you get the coke or it, whatever. Like. It's one of my favorite. Like, yeah. it's it's one of my favorite pastimes. So, um, huge movie geek. Marvel's probably my favorite, just because our family is like pretty big into it. All my uncles and like mm -hmm. family will go to a movie like probably once a month whenever like a Marvel one's out. So. Probably one of those. I love Step Brothers. I love comedies. The only movies I really don't like are like horror movies. Not yeah. a, not a big I can't horror do a horror guy. movie no, either. I had a guest tell me that they loved horror movies, and I was like, uh oh, I'm Red not going to be able to say flag. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I have nothing to say. Um, so, do you have like a movie experience that like stands away from from the rest? Like for me, this is a you know, kind of kind of a strange one. But I remember 2019 Christmas Day. Me and my family went and saw Little Women. Mm. on opening day at the my favorite movie theater, the Rialto in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is reopening <laughs> this summer. Um, <laughs> so the Rialto, beautiful, best popcorn, best best Coke. And I just remember like the experience of it all, like the movie with all the sound and everything and just being with my family on Christmas. It was just like 
now that movie is one of my favorites, but I feel like it was the experience that makes it one of my oh, favorites more so than yeah. the, I mean, the movie's great too, but like the experience of it all. Do you have one of those? I don't know if I have one as, yeah. as good as that. Uh, honestly, <laughs> it's going to sound silly, but we went to Puss in Boots as a joke. Oh. Like it just is like a funny joke. And I sat down, I'm like, this movie is freaking hilarious. Like that little, like uh, that little puppy where he was uh -huh. talking about yeah, how like yeah. his family kept trying to lose him. I remember sitting in that movie theater, like la like tears in my eyes, just laughing as hard as humanly possible at that. Um, and that was, that's probably like, one of yeah. the most, like, the hardest I've laughed in a long time. And it was just, I think one of the big things is, like, you just go to a movie and you're not, like, I go to Marvel movies and you're expecting, like, you got yeah, this. Yeah, of course. This is more of just, like, a, like, just chill. Like, yeah, you weren't expecting out. anything yeah. out of it. And it was a, just yeah. an amazing that movie. That Puss so. in Boots movie is so good. <laughs> so that's probably it. <laughs> you're the second person I've talked about this movie on this podcast with. Love that Puss in Boots movie. <laughs> it's a great one. So, um, Austin, anything else you'd like to add before we close it out? I think that's it. Just keep chopping wood. Yeah. Oh, actually, I never asked you about the chopping wood. Okay, so, so where'd you come up with that um, slogan? I guess. Oh, okay. So that well, that was when I, I was on my way to uh, quit football, and my my head coach texted me, uh, "Keep chopping wood." Um, so he texted me, "Keep chopping wood." That's not who you are. Keep chopping wood. Um, and and I took that as like, okay, like I just got to keep working, keep working. Um, but one of the and so like you continually swing the axe and the, the force call, falls and you build up this house and you build up your foundation and I took it as that for the longest time and I still do I feel like mm -hmm. that's a huge piece of it like regardless of how you're feeling regardless of how bad things are going um, and it's the tattoo of the flood coming like mm -hmm. the, the flood taking out like your life like continue to chop wood build your foundation um, and help people when when they are struggling so I took it for that as a long time but then. I had my coach on the podcast um, after, and I, and I told him, I was like, the, your text message was like the thing that like kickstarted all this and allowed me to like have the sporting success I had at St. Thomas and have the Yoakum strength. Like Yoakum, none of that is anything without that one singular text message. And he didn't remember sending it. Mm -hmm. He didn't know why he was coming on the podcast. He didn't remember sending it. And that, that was such an eye-opening experience for me. And that's why I emphasize the keep chopping wood part more so like personally, it's like, that continual reminder that you have no idea your impact you have every single day, the words that you say, the text messages that you send or don't send. Um, you have no idea the butterfly effect that has on people's lives. Uh, he, he sent a text message that completely changed my life and catapulted mm -hmm. everything that he doesn't remember sending. Like he could have never sent it. Like he has no idea. Like he is just in passing just who he was in yeah. that moment. So that, that, that's one of the biggest pieces of like the keep chopping wood mentality is like, you have no idea the impact you have just being here, just being a person, just talking to other people, being there for people. Um, and that's probably what the, the bigger reason for me personally right now is reminding myself, you, you don't understand the impact that you have um, and, and doubling down on that. Well, and little experiences for people are so big, you yeah. know, like having a conversation like this, which I appreciate you for coming in and, and talking to me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was yeah. awesome. This was yeah. <laughs> yeah. So much fun, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, I appreciate it. So awesome. Austin Yoakum. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. That'll do it. Boom. Perfect. <laughs> that was All sweet. Right.